This episode of the Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by our incredible Patreon supporters. If you'd like to check out the Secret Library Podcast Patreon and become one of our supporters, you can do so at patreon.com slash secretlibrary. This is episode 107 of the Secret Library Podcast. My guest this week is Chibundu Onuzo, and she is the novelist who has written two novels before turning 30, which is incredible, and her latest book is Welcome to Lagos, so we'll be talking to her later. Updates on tweets and messages. In the past week, I have to say, um, most of the tweets and messages that came in were in regard to some very sad news. Um, Barry and I had our little free library, which we've maintained for the last year and a half in front of our house, um, stolen. So it was stolen between Friday morning and Saturday morning. Um, and we're not quite sure how it happened. So we posted about that on Instagram. And so everybody's tweets and Instagram messages this week were pretty much condolences about the little free library. So I want to thank everybody for reaching out and being so sweet and supportive about that. Um, another bit of news and announcement is that the Coffee Shop Writers Group will be opening in the next week. I am very excited to open that thing again. It's going to start in the middle of July, but we will be enrolling um, through the end of June. So if you would like to be notified about when it's opening, so you're in the first batch to find out, um, you can go to carolinedonahue.com slash coffee shop. And one shift um, in the group this time is that I have had at this point several really amazing men as clients and students. And up to this point, the coffee shop has been specified as women who want to write already, but it, it feels wrong to me to exclude men at this point. I think that the coffee shop going forward will be people who want to write already. So everyone, regardless um, of gender, orientation, anything, you know, we're not confining it just to women anymore. We want to be inclusive. So everybody who's interested should check out carolinedonahue.com slash coffee shop to get notified and the full page will be going up this week with enrollment opening men. Um, so we hope to have you in the group. It will be for 10 people, um, 10 people total. So with all that said, let's get on with the show. Chipundu Onuzo was born in 1991 in Lagos, Nigeria. She studied history at King's College London and is currently pursuing a PhD in history at the same institution. Her short stories have been commissioned by BBC Radio and she writes for The Guardian with a special interest in Nigeria. Her second novel, Welcome to Lagos, is out now. I loved speaking to Chibundu not only because she has such a gorgeous voice, which you'll hear shortly, but also because we got into so many metaphors and topics around point of view picking how many characters you have and the metaphor was really exciting. We got into Nancy Drew and Scooby-Doo and ways that that is related to point of view. So those were some really great moments and I know you're just going to love this interview. It's also fun to just be able to focus on one guest this week. So enjoy Chibundu Onuzo. Hi Chibundu, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So I'm very excited to talk about Welcome to Lagos, which is your second novel, but the first that's being released in the U.S., correct? Yes, correct. So it's interesting because I've been having a lot of luck about talking about 
second novels and second novelists and sort of the experience of that. But you were very young when you published your first novel. You were 21, right, when the first one came out? Yes, I was. I suppose that is very young. <laughs> it probably didn't feel young to you at the time, but for those of us who are who are not 21 anymore, the thought of having produced a novel at 21 is pretty amazing. Yeah, the experience was quite overwhelming, actually. Now that I can look back from my uh, advanced years of 27, um, yes. I now realize that my 21-year-old self was probably quite overwhelmed um, because it was fine getting signed, mostly fine, and it was fine with the editing process and all of that. But the thing is, you know, once you get published, then you start doing all these interviews and all that kind of stuff. And I remember anytime I'd sit on a panel, everyone would be older than me and often much older than me. And, you know, they would ask them questions and they would just be able to just be so articulate and they'd answer and answer and answer. And then they'd turn to me and then they'd ask me my question. And I'd literally be like, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. I agree. I, I agree. Yes. Um, so yeah, I felt uh, inadequate in those years. That's fantastic. I mean, I think that's interesting too because there's such a culture of sort of, at least in publishing, I see there's this love of the debut. Mm. And then there's also this love of the young writer. Mm. But it certainly doesn't make it easy to be a young writer mm. in the face of these kinds of situations. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there definitely is. I mean, I mean, it's good. You know, publicity is good for the book, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's I mean, it's part of the industry. Like, you know, they're always looking for ways to pitch things. It's to attract attention. I get it from a from a marketing perspective. Um, and you can't really, like, prepare for what it will be like when people suddenly start asking you questions about your book. Because before you're published, nobody... I mean, people read your work. But, like, so, for example, if my mom reads my book, she's not going to try to connect it to any um, political event of... Um, Nigerian significance I don't know if you see what I mean like she's not going to try mm -hmm. and, and link it to like the social economic situation in Nigeria whereas right. you get on, yeah whereas you get on an interview and then they start because your book is set in Nigeria they start asking you about what you think about the president's policies or what you think about xyz so you're suddenly kind of answering things that are even beyond your book <laughs> you know do you find that it, it sort of forces you to be a kind of spokesperson for Nigeria because Having We don't have like the hugest presence, which is a problem, and I think it's wonderful that that's changing. But being in a smaller category of books that are representing Nigeria in the U.S. and in the West, do you find that that's putting a ton of pressure on you to sort of answer questions that you're like, I didn't mean to do this, I just wrote a novel? No, I mean, no, I don't really feel, I don't really feel that pressure. I don't know that I felt it at 21. But I was definitely aware of it, that suddenly I was getting invited to do all these things related to Nigeria. Some people really resist that. Um, I guess the problem also is that I am interested in, in politics. Um, but the danger is I'm giving my opinion as just a Nigerian giving their opinion, not as any right. sort of specialist. 
but then my opinion is sort of elevated to the level of being a specialist because I've written a novel that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Like Nigerians were quite interested in politics generally, but my sister used to used to tease me. You know, she'd be like, you know, who made you the spokesperson of Nigeria? You know, you wrote a book. <laughs> You wrote a book about two teenagers and suddenly you're like, oh, I think the president should do X, Y, Z. She's like, will you keep quiet? <laughs> <laughs> you're making trouble for everyone else. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess the older you get, you, you, the less, for me anyway, or the older I've gotten, the less seriously like I take this kind of... Let me not say the less seriously, but it doesn't put any pressure on me. You know, I mean, some people sometimes feel especially if you're writing about Nigeria and you have an audience that is outside Nigeria some people feel that you should only write you know positive things and you should only present the country in a certain light and I mean I've gone to readings where something I've read has been challenged because by a Nigerian because it's not quote-unquote positive enough um and I'm just like I'm not the Ministry of Tourism, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, go and take it up with the Ministry of Tourism about, you know, the way Nigeria is perceived abroad. You know, I'm a writer, and I write about what I'm interested in, and I write from my perspective, and I don't, um, don't apologise for that. So the thing is, um, if you feel my portrayal of Nigeria is, is not positive enough to your liking, then write, write your own positive portrayal of Nigeria. Exactly. So you do get into politics quite a bit in Welcome to Lagos. Like that's a sort of central thing that's happening in the book. And there are lots of different perspectives. And I was wondering, how did you come to that idea? Because it's been, it's been, well, your book came out in 2016, but it's just now coming out in the US. Mm -hmm. So how long did it take you to write this book? I guess just as I was reading it, I was like, my God, this is a very complex series of characters and situations and so I was wondering like how did the book come together so I think it took me five years um I didn't or maybe maybe six even I didn't like I don't have the like start point because I started writing it when you know like after you get an agent but before you get an editor I started writing it in that period of sort of limbo um and then I put it away and go back to Spider King's Daughter then I'd write it and then I'd come back um, so what I really wanted to do with um, my novel after Spider King's Daughter, because Spider King's Daughter had only two characters, main characters, mm. really. And it was very tight and it was very small. And I wanted to write a novel with a lot of characters because I just read a book by Amitav Ghosh called Sea of Poppies, which has like this brilliant, large cast of characters. So I read it and I was like, I want to write something like this. Um, but I didn't have a story. Like, you can't just say, I want to write a book with a lot of characters, but what, you know, what, what would the book be about? So mm. I then had this um, dream, which just sounds like, if, every time I say it, I just feel so like, oh, I had a dream. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I actually, think it sounds great. Yeah, but, but I just, I think it, it doesn't fit my personality. Like, I'm not the kind mm. of person that has dreams and writes them down. It's kind of like an anomaly. Um, in my life experience but anyways I had a dream um, and there were two soldiers in the dream and they 
they refused to do something. You know, dream logic now. They refused to kill people. There was a hill, like, you can't really transcribe dreams, you know, perfectly into, like, daylight because then they don't make sense. But they refused to do something. And then they had to run away. They disobeyed an order. And then I woke mm. up. Um, and then I was like, wow, that was really, really vivid. And again, I don't usually write down my dream. In fact, I never do. Um, but I did this time. So I wrote it down. And then I thought, okay, so they've disobeyed an order and they're in the Nigerian army. So they're going to have to desert the army um, because it's, um, it's like a capital offense. You know, it's a big deal. Um, it's, it will be classed as mutiny, basically. So I then thought, okay, they're going to have to desert the army. They're going to have to run away, preferably to a big city to hide. And then what if when they're running away, you add another character and then you add another mm. character and then you add another character and then suddenly you have these people on a journey getting to somewhere and then having to navigate. And I was like, yay, I now have my large cast of characters. But then <laughs> the problem was that the, it just became too large. Like, literally, it was ridiculous. Like, every chapter, I would add somebody. I think I, sometimes I would add more than one person. I would add brothers. I would add triplets. I would add, like, it was just getting... Yeah, there's a of... cousin. <laughs> Although the cousin is hard to find, so... Uh, yeah, I, basically. So I kept adding people. And then I sent it to my brother-in-law to read. And he was like, there are too many characters in this book like i can't follow what's going on and i was like whatever what does he know like he's a pharmacist like can you just give me back can you just can you just give me back my book yeah you're not a literary critic and then i sent it to my agent and she was like um i think there are too many characters oh no like, oh my gosh that's so profound wow <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? Oh, my, you've put a finger on what exactly is wrong with the narrative. <laughs> did um, you tell your brother-in-law that she yeah, said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you. Of course, I told you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but, you know, that's the, uh, the, the ego of the artist. I was like, you're, you're a pharmacist. You're not a writer. Stick to, like, medicine. <laughs> um, so, I know, it actually, as you were talking, this is sort of ridiculous, but... But I, I had the image of the way that everybody co sort of comes together after they do dessert. Um, it's almost like, do you know the game Sardines? Uh -uh. It's this game that, that it's like a children's game where you go through a house and somebody hides. Somebody in the house is hiding. Uh -huh. And then the job of everybody else who's playing is to find that person. Uh -huh. And so you go through the house and then the first person to find them, they hide with them. And uh -huh. so, and then the next person, you know, all the little kids, and it's usually, they're usually hiding in some closet. And so by the end of it, you've got everybody in the everybody closet in together because the they've all found each other. And I didn't think about that, but I was like, oh yeah, you've got, you know, they get on the bus and then somebody's with them on the bus and then mm -hmm. they're all, and then they all end up together. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of really building true. this new little world. Yeah. Welcome to Lagos is like sardines. Perfect. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> but, um. That's so funny. You know, I, I loved that because it was sort of like there's this momentum building as everybody is finding each other. And did you know what was going to happen or were you just sort of following them and seeing who showed up as you wrote? No, it's definitely just following them and seeing who showed up. Um, and when I had to then, you know, take out some of the characters, it was like, you know, I'd line them up against the wall and I'd be like, justify your place in the book. 
And oh, if man. you couldn't justify your place in the book, you were you were out. So who couldn't justify their place? I'm curious about who got cut. Okay, so I'm not going to tell you all the people that got cut because <laughs> I think I think also like I don't like talking about the editing process because the only book that exists is the one that you have in your hand. Everything else is just right. like it's gone, you know, it's it's gone. Um but I will say so there was a baby and I think, mm. you know, I haven't, um, I didn't do this consciously, but now, you know, I, I know that there's a trend sometimes, not just in fiction, just in stories gen- necessar- generally, that, you know, babies kind of bring groups together. So the most, <laughs> the first example that springs to mind is like three men and a little baby and, you know, people bond over, you know, this kind of focal point of a baby. But the problem right. was, I just kept forgetting the baby. Like, you know, I would, <laughs> you know, I would, seven, eight chapters would go by and then the baby would suddenly make an entrance and then it'd be like, where has this baby been all this time? Who has been feeding this baby? Who has been changing this baby's diapers? You know, like, what has this baby been doing? Um, so, yeah, the baby, um, sadly, had to go. That's fair. I mean, because everybody else can pretty much take care of themselves. And <laughs> if they go off and do something, nobody's going to worry that they'll be injured in the, in yeah, the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I love that. So I, the other thing that really struck me is how gorgeous the language is in the book. And I wondered, was it that way in the first draft? Or did you, does it just come out that way? Because that's kind of astonishing. Um I almost thought I'm like, if she has the book, I might even say, will you read part of it? Because it's really, really beautiful description. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, as someone who's never had the opportunity yet to go to Lagos, I felt like I was in the spaces as I was reading. And did you write the first draft and have that there? Or did, were there many drafts where you were massaging the language? So I like to say that, like, I just write perfect drafts. Like, I just sit down... <laughs> And it comes out like pure gold. But um, sadly, this is not the case, actually. I'm a massive, massive, like, redrafter. Um, And with Welcome to Lagos, it was actually very difficult for me to find the the voice. I think that's why it it took five years to write. Um, So I'd never written in the third person before, Mm. before this. Um, And I feel I had to learn that. So I kept a diary when I was younger. So I'm very used to the I voice. Um, mm. I, and so my first novel, it's told in two first person narratives. Um, and so it sounds so basic, but when I started Welcome to Lagos, you know, just to, to get my head around the fact that when you write in the third person, it's he and she, it's not I. Like literally, I would start a sentence in he and she, and then by the end of the sentence, you know, I would be in I, I, I. And then I'd go back and it'd be like, he, she, I, I, I did this. I'm like, there's no I in third person. So I had to like, literally that very basic, that very basic like level of writing in third person. There's no I. So that was my first hurdle. Um, And then the next thing was just to find a third person voice that wasn't listy. Because mm. I wanted it to be close to the consciousness of the characters I was writing in. So I'm not writing... Um, I think I tried the omniscient third and I didn't like it. It, was, it wasn't... Um, I, couldn't do, I, I couldn't do it to a way that I was satisfied. Um, and so I wanted it to be very close to the characters. So as in, with each chapter, it's told from somebody's perspective, but in the third person. 
Um, and it was very difficult for me to work out, actually, like just how to do that. Um, but I'm not difficult, you know, people like difficult in your mind, I suppose. Um, it's not like a physical difficulty. Um, it wasn't painful. <laughs> no, it wasn't painful. It was just like, you know, when you're writing something and you're like, this isn't right or like I'm not satisfied with it and for me that's um it's learning my that's what's what I've enjoyed with this novel I feel in the sense that I've grown in that I have a I can more closely gauge what I like Mm. and when I don't like something it's like this is not right I don't know how it's going to be right yet but let me continue so that's what happened with Welcome to Lagos so I wrote um, about 150 pages and I was writing in this third person and I was like this is not right you know I don't like this that it's still not quite right you know I'd show it to people and they say oh this is interesting but it's not right for me you know it's so my right. my taste my taste and my my judgment of the like nobody's it's my validation of of what I'm writing that is most important like you know, other people can read it and say, oh, this is nice. But no, no, it, it's not sounding right to me. Um, so I'd written about 100, but I kept going because I think you fix it in the writing. And I think sometimes this is what I see with a lot of people. Like if you're writing something and you feel it's not right, then you stop. But then it's no, no, you, you have to keep going and keep going. And then you work it out. But then once you stop, there's nothing to work with to work out. Exactly. So after my 150 pages, I eventually, I call it like, I broke in <laughs> to the third-person <laughs> voice that I was trying to get. And I kind of imagine it like, like a wall. You know how all these like Nancy Drew or like Scooby-Doo? And yes. then the episodes where there's, there's a secret door behind the wall, but they uh-huh. don't know which book is going to like make the door appear or whatever. Oh, right. So like, like the secret passageway. Yeah, the secret passageway. Exactly. So like you're knocking and 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 knocking and you're like you're pulling books off the shelf and eventually you pick it, like you enter it. But like the process of the knocking and the knocking and the trial and the error. And then eventually for me, that's how it was. Like I broke into the third person voice. And so what I had to do was then go back and rewrite the story didn't change but i had to rewrite the whole everything that come before because once i found that third person voice then i was like this is it and then i know everything else is wrong um and then it was it then became such a problem first of all matching the voices from page 151 basically matching that to all the other 150 pages that had gone on before and then just trying to make it seamless and you know, make it then all flow organically. So that's what I spent the five years doing, basically. <laughs> so when you figure this out, mm-hmm. at the you you broke into the secret passageway, mm-hmm. 150 pages in. Did you just continue and write the next 150 pages and then go back to the beginning and do the whole thing over, or did you go back to the beginning once you figured it out and do the whole book from the beginning at that point? Um. So I wanted to settle into this. Like, first of all, I had to make sure that I really got in it. So like. I wrote about 50 pages in the new voice and then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm easing into this, this third person voice that I like. Um, and I've got it now. Like I've got the cadence that I want. And then I went back. So I didn't finish the novel. I wrote like 50 pages, then went okay. back, did the 150 pages, then tried to like make everything 
fit together right. and then go on to write the end. Okay. I have a like a, a I'm working on a book where I had the reverse thing happen. Mm-hmm. I love third. I'm very happy in third. But I was in a yoga class. This mm-hmm. is like as weird as I, I had a dream. <laughs> and, um, and I was in I was in Shavasana at the end of the class. And I was I've been stuck on the book. And I was there in like the Shavasana and this voice inside my head said, it's supposed to be in first. Mm. And I said, Oh, God, it is supposed to be in first. And I have a really hard time with first. So I'm going to have to take this Nancy Drew <laughs> image and go and <laughs> Break into first person in in the reverse direction of what you did. Yeah, so I love find that your, image. It's going find to be so helpful. Passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it does. It changes what you can see. Mm. Like, because I can imagine, like with omniscient, it would be overwhelming when you're trying to write because it's already enough complexity mm. with how much was happening for your characters. You know, mm. I'm thinking of the scene on the bus. There's all these things going on. She's crying. He's looking out the window. You know, mm. all of these things. Even just with one character's sort of camera looking out and around at what's happening so to do it from up above I I don't even know how you would know where to start it's I feel like it's like a puzzle and I think what helps Mm. once you've finished one novel so for me that was um, the problem before my first novel Spider King's Daughter I'd never finished anything before Um, and I always I had all these failed projects littering my literary past I was like oh I'm never gonna finish the novel so eventually I finished The Spider King's Daughter and when I did it I was like you know you can do this again you've done this once so you can do it again so with Welcome to Lagos it took a lot longer to write but it was like you know you'll figure it out you know you might have to put it away for a while or whatever but you know the the puzzle you go away and you come back and you're like oh that goes there that's amazing I want to talk about the language as well. I don't know. It's so hard to, to talk about because it's just there. Like you can see it. Um, and the descriptions are so rich. So you you got the structure. And then at what point did you start playing with language? Or was that level of description there from the beginning? Um, when you say language, do you mean like my use of pigeon? Or do you mean... What do no, you I mean? mean literally like the description, like the sentences are mm. just beautiful sentences thank you they're just like there there's a level of poetry in them that i think take it feels every word feels carefully chosen but not in a way that feels precious as you read it like it's very readable but it's but it's just like oh yeah somebody took their time and wrote really good sentences here oh thank you i guess well i try to stick to my again my internal rhythm um and i and i rewrite a lot so for example i'll write a chapter i'll write a chapter and then i will email it to myself well i'll email the book to myself and i will go to the chapter i've read for so i i like my my sentences to skim Mm. um so i'll read it really quickly and then if if anything is making me stop you know, it's almost like, you know, you're trying to run and there's a stone in the ground and then that's tripping you up. If anything is making me, me stop, then I'll look at it again, um, take out the word and then probably, so then it's with the rhythm as well. So like, this probably has too many syllables. Um, and so for one thing I always do when I have lists is that I put, like a, <laughs> it's like a small trick, but I put the words with shorter syllables at the beginning. 
Mm. And then I put the words with longer syllables at the end. So instead of having like, okay, let's say I'm saying, gosh, I can't do this on the spot now. Let's say I'm saying um, the room had a flower, a bowl, and a grand table stool. You know, I will then Mm -hmm. reorder it and put bowl, Mm. flower, and grand tablespoon or stool or whatever. Um, Because then I find that then you don't trip because then you're, it's like you're moving from three syllables to one to two to three. It's like, it's not always this formulaic, but sometimes, and some, at the beginning, it was unconscious. I was just doing it. And then now, the more I do it, the more I know what I'm doing in that, like, it makes easier reading. And especially when I'm joining clauses together or when I'm listing something, if the shorter words are at the beginning and the longer words are at the end, um, yeah, that's things so like fascinating. That. I've never thought of that, but it makes it, it does. It I think that works, and it shows like things like that, like the pacing of the sentences. Like it's interesting because on the one hand, yes, they're very smooth, but also I found myself wanting to reread sentences because I was like, that is a satisfying sentence. <laughs> um, but I'm the kind of nerd who who really enjoys looking at, at language very closely. So maybe I'm maybe I'm a different reader than some, but. But it stood out to me. And I, I think something that happens is I, I talk to people who are interested in writing and who write, who want to write books, they will read somebody's book off the shelf and then look at their own draft that they're working on at home, which is maybe a first, maybe a second draft and think, oh, oh I could never do that. Oh. And I, I think, you know, some people have said to me like, yeah, I just kind of write that way. And that's how it comes out. But, but for most people, I think there is a, a reflection, a process of reflection and a process of going yeah. back and saying, is yeah. this working for me? which yeah. I think everybody needs to know because we're basically reading someone's very, very polished final yes, draft. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And comparing it to our own like scratchings in a notebook, which isn't mm. really a fair comparison. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% right. And it's not just you're reading my meditations on it. You're also reading it after my editor has gone through it and then said, um, I don't believe this. And I think the best editors don't, um, they don't tell you what to do, mm. but they, they point out a problem to you. And then you can go and think about it and say, actually, okay, yeah, you're right. Maybe I could do this or do that. Um, so, yeah, the best, and my, yeah, my editor should just be like, I don't believe this ending. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> That's intense. I don't, I don't believe it. Like, I, I just don't believe that the character would do this after, as in from what you've shown of the character on the page. I just don't believe that he would do that. And so then you go back and you think, okay, yeah, okay, I see what she means. Like, this action looks like it has come from nowhere. So it's either I go back and think more about what his motivations are or her motivations are. Or also, you can just discount what your editor is saying. But generally, like I feel, especially with criticism, if they say something and it resonates with you, then you owe it to yourself, not even to them, just to yourself, like to your craft, um, to take a second look um, at what they're saying. Definitely. I want to talk a little bit about the practical side of this because Uh you, okay, so we're discounting the fact that everyone's already very intimidated that you published your first book at 21 (laughs) and are on to another. But in the the meantime, you've gotten a bachelor's degree in history and are now getting a, a PhD in history. So how are you fitting writing? It's one thing if somebody's like getting a degree in writing and you can think, okay, great, you're doing your degree and you can work on this book along with it. But you're getting a totally separate degree 
which is very demanding at the same time as you're writing books with incredible thought and care. So how are you making this all work with your time? Well, I always tell people, I mean, I get a lot of sleep. Like, I don't like to stress myself. <laughs> like, like I, I really don't. Um, so, you know, when I'm doing my, um, when I'm doing my, so I, I do them, I'm not a very good multitasker. So if I'm, even no matter how small the window is, if I'm writing creatively, I'm writing creatively, even if it's just a week. And then if I'm doing PhD stuff, I'm doing PhD stuff. Um, and that's how it, I've I've done it, even from when I was an undergraduate. Um, I don't um, and yeah, I mean, I don't um, I don't watch myself breathing. You know, I think when when you think about human beings are so infinitely capable, and it's the only thing that stops us is because have you watched um, <laughs> have you watched Fantastic Beasts? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you know, there's that creature. Oh gosh, the Okami that expands to fill the space that you give it mm. and it shrinks to give to fill the space that you give it um and i feel that's what human beings are like so in the movie you know the the, the creature gets into a department store and if it, it expands to fill right. the whole department <laughs> store and then to trap the creature they put a, a cockroach in a teapot and the creature shrinks to fill the teapot because it's trying to get at the cockroach um and that's how human beings are, you know, if you give yourself space, you know, you can expand to do so many things. But if you say, you know, this, I can't do this, I can't like, you know, if you, whatever boundaries you put on yourself, that's the space you're going to fill. Um, and my, one of my, um, one of the people that I love is, um, historical people that I love is uh, Benjamin Franklin. Mm. Um, and I read his autobiography and I was like, wow. This guy just did anything he was interested in. So, like, he invented bifocal glasses. He was a founding father. He helped with the Constitution. He was an ambassador. He did the key in the storm experiment. He did, um, you know, the electricity experiment with the kites mm -hmm. and with all that. With the key on the kite, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did, um, what else did he do? He started a fire service, I think, in Pennsylvania. He ran a newspaper. And he didn't even have the internet. Like, he just was, anything he was curious about, he just said, oh, let me find out about it. It doesn't mean, like, you know, you make a profession out of, of all your interests. But it means, like, we can be so much more than one thing. So I sing as well. Um, and I play the piano. And just these are all my interests. Like, it doesn't mean, like, um, I may I may not, you know, record an album. But I, I want to pursue the things I'm interested in. Um, so I'm interested in history. I mean, I may not want to be an academic now that I've actually got into the end of the PhD. Um, so yes, I was like, yeah, let's let's go down this route. Um, but yeah, if you give yourself space, you will expand to fill that space. You will. I love it. I think the other side too is that you have to keep your anxiety in a teapot, but yourself in the department store. Yes, yes, exactly. You have to let. You have to. I mean, and and I I do. I see this a lot with. Um, with with creative people, let me not exempt myself from it. Of this, um, <laughs> <laughs> of this, um, we all, at some stage, you know, suffer from it or have suffered from it. This, um, I just I just, this anxiety. Or I'm like, it's not going to be good enough. Or this anxiety, just just this anxiety. And yes, you're right. You have to keep it in the teapot. And if 
Captain Possible, smash, smash that teapot, um, <laughs> smash it, like, because it just, it's such a waste. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that's all, that's all, like, you know, when I meet, when I meet, or when I see it in myself, and you also have to look at your, check your internal voice, you know, this is, I gave a talk about this, um, like, what are you saying to yourself? And you have to, like, check that voice. And especially, like, with your writing, sometimes you read something, you're like, this is horrible. No, 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 I can make this better. It's like, check that internal voice. What is it saying to you? Um, and you need to reprogram it if it's not saying the right, the right things. Um, what do you think is something more useful that you've said to yourself in those moments? So with, like, Welcome to Lagos, um, um, especially, like, when... I was, I just, it's like, you just keep writing and you're writing for 150 pages and you're like, I don't like what I'm writing. <laughs> right. And, you know, in your head, it's like, you know, this is a waste of time. You're not going to work it out or, or even worse, like just, I mean, the people you've showed it to have said it's okay. So just keep on writing in this voice that you don't, and just, you know, settle with this. Um, and it was, it was like. Your internal voice, you know, you have to, re like, you can do this. And I talk to myself. Um, and it's not only with um, with things like my writing, because I guess now maybe I've grown more comfortable. The more the more recent things I've said to myself are with um, with body image. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if this, mm. is, this, this is the podcast for this. No, everything is welcome. My, certainly in my, you know, early 20s, you know. Um, and I think... A lot of women they go through this um, when you know I see a photograph of myself and you be like oh you look so bad like you know your 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 chin looks so terrible from that angle and like this is what <laughs> this is my internal voice and a lot of people you like you know they may not share it but they can relate to this you see you know you're in a group photo you immediately zoom in on yourself and all you can think is like negative things you know right um and you know now if I even catch myself. Or slip up and like you know I look at a picture and then I'm like oh I don't like the way I look then it's like okay let's pause okay because sometimes we just these things just run in our mind unconsciously so let's pause and then I'm like you look great you look <laughs> like the best thing since sliced bread you know it's like let's just pause and have a minute like you know you look so and the thing is is when when you speak well to yourself internally then you can speak well to other people externally i find that oftentimes when people are talking um and you know they're saying things that are horrible and nasty they're, they're just saying things that they're saying things they've said to themselves you know you know and that's what's coming out exactly. anyways so your internal voice yeah check check that voice whether it's with writing whether it's with life whatever like check what that voice is saying saying to you and if necessary, pause, take a moment, you know, and be like. I think that's an. I think that's a new T-shirt. I kind of people <laughs> say things in in the show, and I'm like, we all need a T-shirt. Like, let's pause and take a moment. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then on the back of the shirt, it would say, "Your book is going to be great." Exactly, exactly. That's amazing. I think that's true, though, because I think that there is a unique ability that writers have. Like, we're using language all the time. Oh. We're interacting with language all the time, and it's. I mean, I keep thinking about this sort of ridiculous Spider-Man analogy, but with great ability comes, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh -huh. And I think that 
that's not just directed to other people. That's to ourselves. Mm, and since yeah. we have such good language skills, we're mm. really good at insulting ourselves yes, along the way. Yes. Yeah, you're right. That's a very so, good point. Yeah. So I think the pause is crucial. Learning to pause. I think mm. everyone can, can take something from that for sure. So are you, are you dreaming up another book or are you, are you focused on the history now? Or what is going on with you in the next phase? Well, I'm definitely trying to marry the history and the writing. That um, sounds very in exciting. Sort of, <laughs> in a sort of a creative kind of way. Um, because I've literally spent the last four years reading about the last, I don't know, 150 years of West African history. And I found just so many good stories, and not necessarily all that I would say would make novels, but some that I think would make um, great films. Mm. So like I mentioned this um, in another interview, there's a character I came across where he's a real person, but really a character. Like he, was, um, he was from the Gold Coast at the time, what is present day Ghana. And so there was a back to Africa movement in America for black Americans. Mm. And so this is in 1917, by the way, like this right, type this of period. this is not last week. This is not last week. He goes to America and he tells these um, black Americans that, look, um, I've got you land in Africa. Give me some money and I'll get you the land and then I'm going to take you back home, et cetera, et cetera. And this, he basically dupes them. So he gets all their money. He brings them back to the Gold Coast. And there's no land for them. There's no, there's, there's nothing. You know, he's, he's lied to them. Um, and they get there and some of them fall sick. This is not funny anymore. Some of them fall sick, some of them die. Um, but it's just this, um, I just find that story so, there's just so much in that story. Like, you know, there's some people who are somewhere kind of in the diaspora longing for home. And there's somebody there thinking, you know, I'm going to take advantage of this. And this, um, like, human beings are individually complex. Like, there's not some, like, oh, like, black people are all one happy brotherhood. Like, there's, there's complexity, you know, from 150, 100, over 100 years ago, basically. Um, and I want, to write, I want to write something. I don't know if, if this story will be the one, but I think... There were just so many things like that that I discovered. And, you know, now till today, we're still having these conversations about, you know, the the links between the African diaspora and Africans at home, the positive links, the negative links, the, the, the trust, the distrust, you know, like Black, <laughs> like, I mean, Black Panther explores some of these ideas. Um, but yeah. yeah. It was um, it was so interesting just to come across this man. That's fascinating because he sort of he got them where he said he was going to take them. So there's like he could have just said, "Oh, I'm going to take you," taking their money yeah, and yeah, disappeared. Yeah. Well, but this it's is like true. he took him there, but there was no land. It's like you you got him most of the way, but you just <laughs> didn't do the whole thing. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. This is true. Actually, it's he not even a full halfway. swindle. It's like mm. a partial con man. It's like okay, we're going, but. Sorry, there's nothing here. That's yeah. amazing. That's so fascinating. I am I, I am fascinated by people like that who who cook up these schemes and they think, you know, oh, I'm gonna take advantage of these people, but it's almost like maybe he felt guilty or something going mm. all the way with it. So he's like, I will take you there. It just won't be what you expect. And mm. um, you're gonna be disappointed with, you know, your property when you get there. That's I, I think that sounds definitely like a novel. 
But I think, like, also, I feel like the best swindlers have to, like, also believe a little bit of what they're, they're selling. Yes. If that makes sense. So I think for him to have, he must have sort of been able to sort of believe this, like, Pan-African ideal. Like, even though he knows that, like, somebody who's grown up in America all their lives is not just going to turn up in the Gold Coast and perfectly integrate into, no. you know, African society. I mean, part of him must have known that. But on the, he must have sort of, on some level, bought into this dream of, because we all share the same skin color, then, you know, then we're all just going to, to reunite and it's all just going to be one big happy family. Um, yeah, and there'll be music playing and it's yeah, going to be yeah, yeah. like a big party and it's yeah, going to be like yeah, a yeah. The happy family reunion. I know that is amazing to me because it is clearly such a cultural difference. I mean, you mm. look at, and, and that, that idea that, that, cultures are different even across small spaces but Mm. people can get their minds around that in certain contexts but not others it's Mm. like every i mean different cities and in the same african countries are different from each other yes of course and in the u.s it's like we have different states have vastly different personalities yet we look at an entire continent and are like oh no no that's just one thing and it's like no actually no (laughs) um well, I hope, I, I think that sounds like a great book, but it, I think that if you're reading 150 years of West African history, there's probably hundreds of stories that you can find. <laughs> so you've probably got plenty of choices. <laughs> I do. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I hope, you, I hope you're able to break into, um, break into the secret passageway of that history and find, find another book for us in there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been wonderful. And um, I'm so glad that we got to speak. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.